Have you ever wondered what happened to Lance Von Erich? Find out in his book, Lance by Chance, Wrestling as a Von Erich. You'll read stories about Chris Adams, Ric Flair, and Billy Jack Haynes. And of course, the Von Erich family themselves. Get your book today on Amazon. Here comes a woman walking down the path and she's wearing a waist strap. She's nursing a baby on one breast and a pig. My hand to God, she was nursing a piglet on the other breast. You're listening to the Russellville Podcast. I'm your host, Vinny Berry, and my guest today is Sam Houston, professional wrestling since 1983. My goodness. Sam, thank you very much for coming on the show. How are you today? I'm doing great, Vinny. Uh, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure for me. I, you know, get to do something that I'll enjoy doing, talking about myself. Ha <laughs> No, I'm kidding. No, I like to stay busy and stuff, but I like to reminisce and I like to relive my memories and stuff like that because I've been in some, like, wow. I, I mean, uh, I rode across the sky on the edge of a lightning bolt, you know, with dusty roads. Uh, I, I've done it all as far uh, as the business, I mean, or most of it as far as the business is concerned. And I've, I've been just extremely blessed. I've been able to, throughout my 40-year career now, I've stepped in the ring with the greatest guys to ever lace up boots or pull them on, you know, because some guys don't lace their boots up. They pull them on like Black Bart anyway, right. and me. But anyway, yeah, I started in uh, 1983, and uh, I'm a second-generation wrestler. My dad was Grizzly Smith. Sure, a lot of people have seen, like, Dark Side of the Ring and the whole nine yards with my brother, Jake the Snake Roberts, and my sister, Rockin' Robin. Anyway, you know, but... I, I don't want to talk about all those things. I want to talk about things that are relevant to us today. And what's relevant to us today is, is moving forward, you know, in life with, with everything. Wrestling has offered me such a soapbox to stand on, you know, and, and people listen when I talk, you know, and, um, and they enjoy the stories. Uh, I mean, let me ask you, Vinny. Uh, I, I don't think in our previous conversations I brought it up, but uh, how many people do you know that have actually been almost eaten by cannibals twice? I don't think I've met anybody. Yeah. Well, cannibals tried to eat me twice in New Guinea on tour, you know? Yeah. They're carrying me to the big black pot. No, uh, no, but my career started in 1983, and and uh, I ran away from home. I'd had a t my tonsils taken out the year before, and the doctor, uh, the anesthesiologist, messed up and punctured the back of my windpipe, and I ended up I had a cardiac arrest, and I died on the table for two minutes. When uh, they resuscitated me, I was in a coma for two weeks, and then when I came out of that, they didn't expect me to make it through that. When I came out of that. Uh, I didn't eat food that year from April the 1st till August the 13th. I lost almost 100 pounds. So that put me breaking into the business. I had to gain my weight back. I gained my weight back and broke in. I ran away from home because my dad had already lost me once. It was a top selected me. He didn't want to lose me to the business now. I was already lost in the business. I ran away from home. Dusty Rhodes gave me the name Sam Houston and, uh, and put me to work, and I, I I didn't know all the particulars. I'm I'm still finding things out today, you know, from people that were around back then, J.J. Dillon and stuff. But 
my dad had called all the promoters and told them all not to book, book me or anything. And, and JJ finally went to Dusky and said, look, the kid's here every night of the shows. He's got his bag. Give him a, give the kid a break. So Dusty gave me my shot and I was hooked ever since, you know, and then I came to the Carolinas. I was in the Carolinas and this is where uh, I had some, some phenomenal feuds with Black Bar, Crusher Cruise Chef, you know, different ones along the way, Arn Anderson, the, uh, the Four Horsemen. I mean, they were like <laughs> beating me up in parking lots, breaking my arms, all kinds of stuff. Oh, I was in, <laughs> you're on TV, kid. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. As I, as I just, you know, kind of squirrel on by. But yeah, I've, I've had a great career. I, I wrestled for, uh, Mid Atlantic, uh, then it was, uh, WCW, and then I, uh, went to work for, uh, for Bill Watts with the UWF. Uh, Crockett bought that out, and, uh, I ended up going to work for Vince McMahon for four and a half years. And then after that, uh, well, I got injured. I was paralyzed. Uh, I was back working with WCW and I got paralyzed, uh, partially paralyzed the left side of my body for nine months. Did that paralyzation happen in a match? Yeah. Yeah. I was wrestling the one man gang in Roanoke, Virginia, and it was him and Kevin Sullivan and, um, uh, and uh, it was Roanoke, Virginia. And I don't know if it was one man gang. He, he throws these clubbing forearms at the back of your head, you know. And uh, you know he can't see good either. I don't know if it was it was gang doing that, or if it was Sullivan hit me in the back of the head with a tire iron, or if it was maybe a a, a face bump I took on the on the floor on the outside of the ring from the ring apron. But something squished the meat out of three discs in my neck. Oh gosh, caused a, a, a lot of nerve damage and stuff. I'm still dealing with it today. Uh, but a doctor out in California was, uh, took my case cause, oh gosh, my wife had just left. Uh, it was, it was a, a bad time in my life. And, uh, the company let me go. This doctor in California took my case up, Dr. Irving Shafter, and he worked on me every day for nine months. I'm going to talk about weekends too. He would work on me every, except for Sundays. He'd work on me every day and, uh, give me anywhere from seven to 11 therapies. He was doing some things that were, um, I guess approved by the AMA and some things that were approved in other countries, but hadn't got through, gone through the process here. But, uh, he used to set up a, a like a, a satellite dish on one side of my head and they'd shoot an electricity bolt into the other side and I'd get to see it disperse out the other side. It looked kind of cool. But anyway, he got me back on my feet and I was in the Northridge earthquake out in LA. Now, the earthquake that we're talking about is the Northridge earthquake. It uh, was in 1994. Oh, gosh. Me and my girlfriend, were uh, we lived in Calabasas, and we, we, had a, uh, we were in a condo. So we were in bed, and I would fall asleep, had a bad, you know, I was a bad alcoholic and everything else. So anyway... Uh, I had just gotten this, this pot that was $80 an eighth of an ounce. And, oh wow. Just, it was like one hit wonder stuff. It was really good. And I had had that, and a, a bottle of Crown Royal. I'd been watching 
a Sean Connery movie and they were blowing everything up in the movie. Well, I, I fell asleep and left the TV on. I always did that. And they used to irritate her. Well, anyway, the earthquake hit at 427 in the morning. Everything around me is just shaking. It's going crazy. I don't know what what's going on. The TV shoots off of the uh, the chest of drawers. I grab, I pick it up and put it back up there. It falls down again. I pick it back up. She said, "What are you doing?" I said, "I'm turning the TV off because I was loaded, you know, a little bit." I said, "I'm crown rolling everything up." You know, it's 4:27 in the morning. I hadn't been asleep, but only a couple hours. And she said, it's an earthquake, you idiot. <laughs> you know, we got to get out of here. So we got out of our condominium, and then I started knocking the doors down to the other condominiums in our building so those people could get out to our next-door neighbor. Uh, uh, and I don't know how she made it without getting cut, but she had a had a great big uh, king-size bed with a canopy on it, and the canopy was mirrored. And that whole canopy fell on top of her, but it did not cut her. It, it was it was wild. So, but uh, we got out of there, and across the street from where we lived uh, was a, a ranch that had been established in 1849. So there was never going to be anything. If the historical people had already come and designated a safe zone, so. No, you know that was never going to be built on. What What did you guys do in the in the days? You know, after that, I mean, what, I mean, uh, of course, I'm looking at some of the pictures. It's total devastation. Well, we got out of the, the, the condos at first, and then we were having aftershocks like 5.1s and, you know, aftershocks for, for two weeks. It was just, it was, it was, it was nuts. We stayed on the, uh, on the top floor of, uh, of the, of the condo as much as we could, you know, at night. And everything, but outside you you stayed outside just in case something falls down, you know. And it's L.A., so it's always pretty. But yeah, there was destruction everywhere. You couldn't get anywhere. Finally, I think uh, after a week and a half, uh, Jody's mom uh, and dad owned a ranch in Grass Valley, California, up by Stockton, and we flew up there and I worked on the ranch for two weeks. But it was, it was, yeah, it was, it was amazing. It was, it, uh, I don't wish it on anybody, but I right. know stuff's going to happen, you know. And you were out there in California getting treatment for your neck, right? Right, yeah. And, uh, uh, but I was out there, I was getting treatment for the neck, and, uh, and, and he had got me back on my feet, and I was good. I knocked, I was knocking doors down, and I hurt myself for another six months. And Dr. Shafter worked on me again, got me back on my feet. And the best thing that happened to me after that was uh, I flew to Atlanta to visit my dad. And uh, he was working in the uh, – he was a road agent for WCW. I flew to Atlanta to, to visit him. We went to the TV taping. Dusty come running up to me, told me something was wrong with him, get him to the hospital. Well, my dad's stomach had shut down, and they had to do an emergency surgery to take it out. Well, he ended up getting staph infection, so I pulled him out of the hospital and was carrying him back to the hotel because I learned how to – I had to cleanse his wounds. You could stick your finger probably three inches inside his guts 
The incision was nine inches long that opened up on his stomach. But you could go push. Uh, it was a horrible way. Uh, but the staph infection, I wanted him out of the hospital. So I got the hotel room fixed up for him. I'm bringing him back. And when I, he wanted to check his mail, so when we were going by the lobby, this big Indian fellow is there. He said, Sam Houston. I said, yeah. He said, you remember me? I was like, no. He said, you whipped my ass about four years ago when I had my WWF tryout. I said, yeah, you stuck your thumb in my eye, you know, because he buried his thumb deep in my eye. And he said, I thought I was going to have to fight him in the lobby. He was like, no, is that your dad? I said, yeah. He said, let me help you. He helped me get my dad back to the room. And then I had to change his, his uh, bandages, and I had to take Caldestat and Mesalt tape and actually fill the wound up with that. And like I said, you, you, I mean, you can look down and see his, his intestines. It was you know, that graphic. Anyway, Charlie helped me. My dad wouldn't take pain medicine, so uh, dad held on to Charlie Norris's uh, forearms, did that. He would like to crush them. Then Charlie and I went and had a couple of drinks in the bar, and he told me that he had signed on with WCW at the power plant, but then told me some of the things they were doing, you know, in their training. And it didn't make no sense to me. So I went with him the next day, and when I went in there, I mean, they treated me like a king. They had five rings in there. I got him in one of the rings. We worked out every day for about two to three hours a day. Uh, five days a week, the power plant. And, you know, uh, and he, he was the one after three months, he's the one that got me back in the ring professionally because my career was over. And he told me, he said, man, he said, we're getting in the ring for a couple of hours. He goes, I'm giving you everything I got and I can't do nothing with you. You need to still be in there. So we talked about it and we decided we'd, we'd hook up and become a, you know, start wrestling t- and, uh, tags. And then we did, we went to, gosh, we went to Japan five times. We went to New Guinea, you know, over here almost eaten by cannibals. He was almost eaten with me once. The other time I was by myself. Don't, don't think you're going to get away without telling me that story, but we'll come, we'll circle back to that. That's going to be, yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing that. But what, what was it like for you to return to the ring? after being out and and also having that severe injury what was it like to return to you and and I know you wrestled uh, quite some time with uh, Charlie what, what what was the return like well at first I was scared because I'd already been hurt and I didn't want to be hurt again you know and then then he and I talked and and, uh, and I told him I said you know I said, the only way I'd do it was if I knew that if I had a somebody that had my back to where if I got hurt that you're going to come in there and kill everybody. And he said, well, what, what about Jake? I said, Jake would throw me to the wolves. And then he said he would do it. And I trusted him, you know, and, uh, uh, and, and I had already accomplished everything that, that really has, I've already wrestled in two WrestleManias, you know, I've done, I, I did, did a whole lot. So I was satisfied with who I was and just being me or just be letting it be. And I feel bad because I didn't push myself 
uh, when Charlie and I did start working together. I did, we pushed ourselves hard. Don't get me wrong, but I didn't push myself to the limits like I had done before, you know, before I was injured. Um, right. But, you know, I, I mean, we got over it. We had a blast. I mean, I can't tell you everything, but we always had fun. Um, you know, and, and we wrestled all over the place. Oh, gosh. But it was great to be back in the ring because that, unless you're a wrestler and and you've been away from it and then you get back in it and just crawling through the ropes. You get that tingle up your spine, you know, and it ain't going to take you but a minute or two before you're going to be wanting to grab the ropes or hit the ropes or something. It just takes you over. And that's what it did with, you know, with me and Charlie. It allowed me that opportunity to be back in there. And I knew he had my back. So you got to tell me what happened in uh, New New Guinea. Okay, we were wrestling out of the Dallas office, and Larry, a wrestler and promoter out of Australia, I knew him from my trip to Australia in 1985. He had come up and he had talked to him at WCW about you know doing Australia and New Guinea. Well, Australia and New Guinea, uh, WCW, I don't think was interested in it. Well. But my dad was at running at running out of the Texas office then. So dad and Larry talked, and they took me, Killer Brooks, Action Jackson, Charlie Norris. And we were to go over there, and it was uh, – we were sponsored by the Spear Cigarette Company, which I later found out is an Australian company. They were trying to get the aboriginals hooked on the cigarettes, and these cigarettes, spear cigarettes, were rolled in the Australian daily newspaper. You could act in recycled newspaper. You could read words on the cigarette. You could roll, roll the cigarette around and read on it. So they were trying to kill them off with the lead poisoning because it was fertile land, I feel. You know, and they still had tribes of headhunters and, and uh, cannibals and everything else. Well, we get there the first day. And the radio stations there, they're picking us up, you know, a big caravan to the hotel. They take us this beautiful hotel, like a palace, you know, all marble and this, that, and the other. So, but you can't smoke on the inside. You got to go outside to smoke. So I was sitting there and I, I, I ain't believing this, you know, but I mean, it's all the red carpet, the whole nine yards. So I go out to smoke a cigarette. I standing on this path, and here comes a guy walking down the street. He's about five foot five. Uh, he's wearing a Tarzan loincloth. He's carrying a big spear in his right hand. He's got a bow and arrow hung over his left shoulder. He's got uh, a big, long grass knife on his hip. He's got a great big bone through his nose, bones through his nipples. He's got vertebrae in his earlobes. He's got some red and yellow face paint on. He had uh, a, a feathery headdress, but not like a native, some, more something out of Gilligan's Island than than uh, gone with, I mean, uh, uh, how the West was one, you know. <clears throat> but right. And he walks right up, right up to me, and I'm expecting, something like that, you know. And he walks right up to me, and he goes, pardon me, mate, could I, could I have a smoke? And I'm like, damn, you talk better English than I do. 
and I light a cigarette and I'll watch him walk off and I turn back around. Here comes a woman walking down the path and she's wearing a waist wrap. She's nursing a baby on one breast and a pig. My hand to God, she was nursing a piglet on the other breast. Interesting. Yeah. And then then you find out that a pig's life is worth more than a human's life over there. They have a nut that grows on a tree over there. It's called beetle nut. They chew this nut with lime and I'm on a mustard plant and spit out this red spit, but it gives them a cocaine high all day long. And then they go, go at night and hack each other to death with those long grass knives. So we get there. That, that's I see that that night. And I go out. So the next morning, I got an autograph signing to do. So I go to meet Larry O'Day for breakfast. He introduces me to this guy. He's a college professor from Sydney, and he's head of the educational system in uh, New Guinea for the the, uh, jungle people. So they're trying to cultivate these people. They're trying to take their land is what they're trying to do. This is where all the Jurassic Park movies were filmed. So anyway... uh, so they got us, uh, the spear cigarette. We're, we're giving out spear cigarettes to everybody. But anyway, I'm supposed to do autograph signing. But when I go down for breakfast, they introduce me to the professor. He tells him, he goes, mate, tell Sam what happened to you last week. He tells me, he said that last week, him and his wife left the hotel, headed down the mountain in Port Moresby, six of the rascals, and that's what they call the uh, natives there. Six of the rascals pulled them over with the long grass knives. They said, we want your money, your wife, and your car. They said, take my money and my car, leave my wife alone. They were going to sell her wife, his wife, into uh, slavery, white slavery trade. He said, I've got $5,000 in a, a sack underneath my seat. They said, let's see it. He pulled out a nine millimeter. He shot all six of them. He killed four of them. The police come up. Now, the police are the rascals. They're the natives, but they're under uh, the authority of the Australian Army. Follow me? Yep. So the police get there, ask the guy what happened. He tells them they go over and kill the other two guys. So, anyway... So that now I go to my autograph signing, and I'm standing there, and they got me in a little bitty ring that's about five foot by five foot with ropes on it, so I didn't know it was some, so people couldn't get to me. So I'm signing autographs. I've been signing autographs for about an hour, hour and a half. I gotta go to the restroom or I'll coke. So I get out of the little ring and I go go to the restroom and I'm getting wanting to go get something to drink. The people physically, bodily, pick me up over their head. They were carrying me out of the sports arenas complex. The Australian Army pulls up when we get to the front gate. There are thousands of people and they're tossing me up and down in the air. I I thought it was the biggest like mosh pit or or whatever those uh, parties are, where you know. But they were carrying me all, you know above their head, and I I thought it was a big party. The Australian Army comes out. They start mowing people down with uh, guns with rubber bullets. They're taking uh, night sticks, bashing people in the head. I mean, clobbering them. You know, you're hearing that thunk, 
folk, you know, these Rottweilers, the, I swear you could have put a saddle on and rode the sucker away. These Rottweilers, they would grab people by their heads and just drag them off. It was the most vicious thing I'd ever seen. So they give me the army transport back. They're carrying me back. And the major uh, with the army, I guess he was a major. So he had the little one deal. He goes, uh, he goes, hey, mate, you ever watch Boogs Booty? I said, Boogs Booty, Bugs Bunny? Yeah. He said, you know the one with the Ethiopian? And I was like, yeah. He said, there was a big black pot in your future, mate. He said, they were going to take me. They were going to uh, eat me because their religion is that uh, whatever they consume lives, the spirit of whatever they consume lives through them. I bet that's crazy. Yeah. So three days later, me and Charlie Norris go to the go to the grocery store, which is right next to the hotel. We don't think we need anybody. We're big guys, you know. And all we wanted was a bottle of water. We get in that store. We hadn't been in there two minutes, and like there's three thousand people trying to get in the store and get at us. They just come out of nowhere, you know. Some of them wearing wraps, some of them with this, that, you know, whatever clothing they can find, you know. We, you, we walked out of the store and walked back to the hotel. There's one guy squatting in the bush, taking a dump, and another guy squatting right behind him, pulling the bugs out of his hair and eating them. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that that definitely is a different lifestyle than what you're accustomed to. I mean, you you really had to... It, it had to be kind of surreal, right? Like you're. It was. It was. It, it was. I mean, I, I thought we walked into a Tarzan movie. That's exactly what it was. And then what was bad was okay. So they sent the four of us over there. Now we're going to have a show, so we have to have two singles matches, and each singles match has to go at least forty minutes, and then a tag match. So. Between four guys, we're going out there and doing, you know, doing what, a hundred and twenty, doing a two-hour show, you know, wrestling. So the first night I come back from the ring, now they had Charlie and me, uh, Charlie and Killer uh, Brooks were tag teaming, and it was me and Action Jackson were on the other team. So I was working against Charlie over there, but uh, um, whenever we would come out of the ring. The, the first night I would come out of the ring, getting back to the dressing room, boy, people start just punching me in the face and in the head, just trying to duck down. And boy, I got through the, through the crowd. I got through the people. I was like, what the, where, where's security? They said, oh, no, no, mate. He said, no, they're honoring you. I said, they're honoring you. What are you talking about? They said, they're, they're showing me honor. They're doing to me what I'm doing up in the ring. They're giving me honor. So that next night, I tell you what, when I come out of the ring, I made sure I had some gas left in the tank because anybody that come up to show me a little honor was getting some paid back. We had to fight our way back. And then we'd go to the hotel room. And we'd go up on, they'd have to put us like on the sixth or the ninth floor because people would climb the walls and get in your room. Uh, they'd put it, have to put us up so high that people couldn't climb up. Somebody did climb up in, you know, Charlie's shoes. He wears a size 15, you know, triple E. 
and they steal his tennis shoes. You know, anyway, and they wear some, like a size six. They're little bitty people. Uh, but, uh, we'd go get a case of beer and go back and sit on the balcony and watch somebody come out of the, a little Gilligan's Island hut over here and somebody come out of one over here. They meet in the middle with those long grass knives and hack each other to death after they chew the, uh, the beetle nut. That's what gives them the cocaine, huh? Wow. It was wild. Did you think that you were coming back, or, or did you feel like your life was in danger and you might not be coming back home? Well, no. I mean, as long as we stayed with the Army and everything, after the, after those two times, you know, we knew to stay. We, 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 we got our parameters. We stayed, you know, pretty much locked up. You know, and, and the events, it, it was dangerous in the events because the, there was riots going on and they busted down a hundred yards of wrought iron fence at one of the events and like 3,000 people stormed onto the, the soccer arena and they were shooting and all kinds of stuff. But you know, at the time, to be honest with you, dude, I was a drunk, you know. So it's just another day in the jungle, you know. Right, right, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, after so much wild stuff that happens to a person, you know, you you kind of geared up and said, well, this is, you know, a new twist. I mean, I've had three cars uh, flip in front of me, and I've had to uh, jump out every time and kick a window out and drag them out. You know, one, you know, one, one guy landed in a ditch upside down, and I jumped out of a moving vehicle doing 35 miles an hour and it was in the ditch, had the old man cut out and his two dogs at the top of the hill before the guy that I was riding with could get his car pulled over back to me. You know, uh, we recently lost uh, Charlie. Charlie passed away. Could you just talk right. a little bit about him and, and just what your friendship was like him, what he meant to right. professional yeah, wrestling and – well, to me, to me, he, he means a great deal to me. He was closer than a brother to me. Um, he had my back. Charlie gave me my career back, being able to work out with him. You know, when I, when I started helping him, I was helping him, but he was helping me too. And he gave me back this business, you know, so for that, I'll always be forever forever thankful and forever grateful his family is my family and my family is his we're that close i've been uh i've been adopted into his family i've also been adopted into his uh tribe for a long time i was an honorary member of the chippewa nation now i'm a full-fledged member of the chippewa nation the hardest thing for me was making that trip up to Minnesota when I got the phone call that he was gone. I looked at my wife and I said, I gotta go. She said, I'm going with you. And, uh, we left out the next day and drove up there. You know, I, I, being, being the closest person, uh, to Charlie, you know, I had, uh, I had duties that I had to perform, you know, and uh I had to guard his body. It, you know, it, it was it was probably one of the most hardest things I've ever 
ever had to do. Uh, one of the most emotional, um, but it, it was a blessing too. I, I, and I don't know just how to say it all. In my duties, you know, um, and things, uh, I went through all, all of his stuff, you know, all, all of his things. And, you know, Charlie, oh gosh, since, you know, Charlie's back had been messed up. Since, uh, uh, Vader powerbombed him or something, he had bulging disc in his back. He dealt with that for a long time. Plus, he also had blood clots, this, that, and the other. Anyway, um, but the, the one thing when I was going through all of his stuff, I, you know, one of the things, uh, I went through all of his medications and everything. And the one thing that, that, that I guess everybody was kind of scared. And now it's just such a relief that he was not abusing his medications, you know. And that's what a lot of people, a lot of people, oh, you know, another guy who need, no, he didn't. You know, and, and, and I'm, and I'm happy knowing that, cause I know that, that my partner is in the presence of the creator. So, um, Charlie to me, uh, Charlie, gosh, uh, we are each other. You know, that's, those were the words he told me in a prayer one time. He said, we are each other. And, and that, that's true. You know, and we had, and I gotta tell you, we tore it up. We had a blast inside the ring and out. Um, and, and I just thank, I just thank the Almighty for, for allowing me the chance and the opportunity to, to, to be able to have that friendship and relationship with him, you know? Right, right. Yeah, it's definitely, you know what, when you, you lose somebody that's close to you, it's sad because you're going to miss them and they're no longer there, but thank God we got to know these people, right? Yeah, yeah, that's your, oh no, don't, oh, don't think for a minute he's gone. <laughs> he ain't far away. He, he took my false teeth out of my head and glued them to the side of my hair in a, in a uh, while I was asleep the other night. I couldn't find my teeth. I jerked, jerked up on the side of the bed real quick. My teeth, I got long hair, so my teeth slung around and hit me in the face. <laughs> no, but used to be used to Charlie would play little ribs on me and stuff when we were drinking and stuff. Sometimes he'd put a cheeseburger down my pants while I was, if I was passed out. Well, I woke up and the first thing I, I felt somebody tiptoeing across the room. And I woke up and the first thing I did was reach down and there wasn't no cheeseburger down my pants. So I was like, okay. And I started looking for my teeth. And I had just gotten <laughs> We had just gotten Charlie fixed up with a set of false teeth last year. And that was one of our things. We're always talking about our teeth, you know. And, uh, so, so I know he's the one that is the only, that's only happened one time. Only one time. And I've been sleeping with these teeth in my mouth for like two and a half years now. So, and then he's got them glued to my hair. Oh, it was great. Uh, but, uh, yeah, Charlie, uh, to the wrestling business, okay. I want to say this, uh, Charlie loved wrestling. Uh, he loved the wrestling business. 
a lot of things used to get to them, how people used the business for their own, per, you know, or, or did what they thought, you know. Uh, I, he didn't like people taking liberties, I guess, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, and the guy, the guy was, you know, he's, he's Chippewa Indian, you know. You don't need some white guy from Minnesota telling him how he's got to do his dance. Charlie was, Charlie was, he, he was a dancer, you know, at the powwows. He had high honors. He knew how to dance, you know, and then you're going to have somebody else because he's a TV producer and, and to tell you to do it this way. I'm not going to make a joke out of my people and I wouldn't expect him to make one out of his, you know. He always stood up. That's what I liked about Charlie. He always stood up and did the right things, you know, or what we thought was right. Right, right. Well, Sam, I appreciate you coming on the, the show and giving me your time today. Thank you very much yes, for sir. all the stories that you've shared. I mean, my goodness. Yeah, Vinny, I, well, I want to I wanna stick close with you because a lot of stuff's getting ready to, to happen. Uh, we're going to you know, I got hit with a, um, a, a, oh gosh, an action figure deal. Uh, the same company that's doing, uh, our, our Greg Gagne and Magnum TA, their action company thing, they made me an offer. And, uh, uh, their lawyer did. And I listened to their offer and I thought, well, you know, you're going to make all the money and give me crumbs? I don't think so. <laughs> so then they come up to 30% of the profits. And I was like, well, that, you know, seems like a pretty, you know, decent deal and everything then, but I didn't want to sign it because they wanted to have rights to my name. Well, I went through prison. I've done everything. I, I and, and I've always worked on myself. I'm not giving my rights away to anybody. Nobody's going to be able to come and tell me that I have to, I can't sign somebody's picture because they, I've got a doll deal with this or that. No, I'm just, I'm not going to be bound like that. So I sent them a deal back, uh, a 50-50 deal, and then I keep the rights to my name. Because why would, why would, um, I mean, why would Magnum and, I, I mean, I, I know, but, uh, they're, you know, they're in the line of their own pockets. But, you know, they're taking the bulk of the profits and only going to offer me a, a crumbs off of it. You know, I understand how the pie's got to get broken up, but this way it's going to get broke up two ways, our company and the wrestler. Uh, the wrestler will get 50%. He'll get to maintain the rights on this property. He'll start off as a small deal, but we're going to offer this opportunity to guys that usually won't, wouldn't give, have this opportunity. And Black Bart's going to be one of the ones that we do on the first set. We're going to do mine, Black Bart, Charlie Norris, uh, I'm thinking Pampero Furpo and the Rock and Roll Express is what we're talking about. I've just got to make sure that all the paperwork is, all the, uh, die, uh, I's are dotted and the T's are crossed. But we're getting ready to start doing something to bless the boys. And I've been blessed. I, I'm not looking to make a dime off of anybody else. Um, the, whoever is designing the dolls will get a portion. Uh, then you have everybody will be paid and that'll be the production stuff. And then the, and then the people buy the dolls. So there won't be a whole lot. And then I'll be able to take and send that wrestler or that athlete out to someplace close to his home and he can sign autographs for a day if he'd like to. And we can pay him to do that. You know, 
because it helps push doll sales. Oh, yeah. And that, yeah, it's, it's helping the boys. Yeah, I just want to bless the boys, man. I ain't worried about everybody else. You know, I got a guy the other day wants me to, and he, he sent me a picture he and I took together. Uh, so I'm going to blow it up into an 8 by 10 and autograph it for him and send it back. But he also asked me for two autographed pictures from my WWE days, like he, our WWF days, like he doesn't, he doesn't think that I know that my signature on that picture, uh, is worth $500. You know, he just wants me to send him two pictures with WWF's logo on it, autograph, so he can sell them on the market for $500. You know, I don't want to do the boys like that. I want to take care of the boys, you know? Absolutely. This is, this is, this is the only retirement we got. You know what I mean? It, it, it's all about growing the business, right? That's it. You know, Vince McMahon can teach you one thing. Own the whole wheel. That means the spokes and everything off of it because there's so much you can do. One of the first things Vince did because he knew where he was, where all the boys were going to be booked was he bought, he got Andre's travel agency. And then, so now he's buying the tickets three months ahead of time. He's getting, you're getting a K fare ticket. So you're, you're flying from Philly to New York for $12 and 50 cents instead of 174, you know, because it was bought so long ago, you know, so far in advance. But that night at the box office, he's charging off that whole 174 because it's his company, you know, but your company though. But anyway, Vinny, we will definitely keep in contact, and I did did enjoy talking with you this morning. Oh, yeah, I enjoyed talking with you, too, and we definitely have to do this again. And uh, I I know we'll be talking uh, here throughout the the next couple months for sure, but, yeah, we'll we'll have to do this from time to time, record it. Yeah. yeah. Well, I want to record it, but I I want to get some news out there for your podcast, too. You know, because there, there's going to be a lot of things, a lot of guys that will be, be able to get blessed in ways. And, but I, just because I, I go and say, hey, we're going to do this doll of this guy or this action figure of this guy, I still need people to, that want to purchase that. So that's where everybody else that hears about it comes in. And when can uh, we expect some of these action figures to come out? Okay, well, the the the, the guy right now is working. Uh, he he did the first design on mine. He's got all the the pictures and everything for Bart that he's uh, working on. That he's also got the pictures for Charlie's. Uh, he's got the pictures for him, but the hardware that he put it together with uh, is not sturdy enough. The one he sent me, my head keeps popping off. And I don't want my head to pop off just, you know, any, you know, my head don't need to pop off. You can uh, take an arm. No, I'm kidding. I, no, I don't. I, we're, we're just, we're, as soon as we get this done, then we have the molds made. And once the molds get made, then we'll start in production. Sounds good. Sounds good. We'll, we'll keep in contact with that and we'll talk about that more coming down the road. And, and again, okay. thank you for your time. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You're listening to the Russellville Podcast, where wrestling lives. We walked out of the store and walked back to the hotel. There's one guy squatting in the bush, 
taking a dump, and another guy squatting right behind him, pulling the bugs out of his hair and eating them. 